Good morning, guys. You can have a seat on the steps or on the floor if you want to. All right. Now, doesn't this complete the holiday season right here? There's nothing quite like youth and joy and the laughter of children to make Christmas complete. Hey, guys, thank you guys for joining me for a few minutes. Okay, let's take a moment, and you guys have probably heard the Christmas story, but uh, Christmas season isn't complete until we take a moment to reflect on it and to remember it together. And so let's do that now. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath as silent as snow falling. He came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young woman who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this woman was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel. He was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if he was maybe talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung the rolling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Yeah. Wait. God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said and felt in her heart. How can it possibly be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God wants, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full and every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeeper told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Very soon, Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. 
the baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used animals' feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a brand new star appeared. Of all the stars in the dark vaulted heavens, this one shone clearer in a blaze in the night and it made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when his baby son was born to be like a spotlight, shining on him, lighting up the darkness and showing people the way to him. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep the good news to himself. He had been waiting all these long years for this moment and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. He sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He put a special star in the sky to show where his baby was. And now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here. He's come. Go and see him, my little boy. Now, where would you send your splendid choir? Maybe to a big concert hall or a palace perhaps? God sent his to a little hillside outside of a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside of Bethlehem. Now in those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just old, scruffy riffraff. However, God must have thought the shepherds were very important indeed because they were the ones he chose to tell his good news to first. We'll talk about that after service. <laughs> Don't forget the riffraff question. <laughs> that night, some shepherds were out in the open fields warming themselves by a campfire when suddenly the sheep darted because they were frightened by, because they were frightened by something. And the olive trees rustled. What was that? That sounded like a wing beat. They turned around, standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light, blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone everywhere. Today in David's town, in Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go see him. He is sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud, except it wasn't a cloud at all. It was angels, troops and troops of angels armed with light, and they were singing a beautiful song. Glory to God, glory to God, be fame and honor and all our hoorays. Then 
as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. The shepherds stamped out their fire, left their sheep, raced down the grassy hill, through the gates of Bethlehem, down the narrow cobbled streets, through a courtyard, down some steps, steps and steps, round a corner and through a hedge, until at last they reached a tumble-down stable. Yes, it is. They caught their breath. Then quietly, they tiptoed inside. There, on the dirt floor, they had heard about this promised child, and now he was here. Heaven's son, the maker of the stars, a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like that bright star shining in the sky at night, a light to light up the whole world, chasing the darkness, helping people to see, and the darker night got, the brighter the star would shine. That's the Christmas story. Now in a minute, we're gonna let you guys leave with the gift of a star to remind you of this story. But for now, go ahead and make your way back to your seats with your parents and we'll call you back up in just a few minutes. I love, we can all learn from that. I think my favorite moment of the month was just a moment ago when one of the kids said uh, when we read about God coming as a baby one of them up here gasped and said really I didn't know that <laughs> we may or may not be doing our job as a church but still it was good <laughs> to see the enthusiasm Let, let's take a moment to reflect on that story uh, the scriptures will be on the overhead, but we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. A very familiar story, but I just want to take a moment this morning as we reflect upon our upcoming two weeks worth of celebrations. Uh, I, I want us to think about this story, and I want us to really hone in on the way in which God is at work in the details, that his sovereign goodness is seen behind the scenes because what God desires to accomplish will be accomplished. We have got to learn to trust in God's process and understand that nothing can thwart his will. What he desires will be done and it makes God a very happy God to serve and to worship. And it makes God a very happy God in whose image we have been made. And one of the themes I want to address as we look at this magnificent story and as we ponder what it means for God to be actively at work in the world is to remember we have made discerning God's will such a complicated task. I hope that you will see as we reflect on this story, once and for all, you can let go of your anxiety of trying to read God's mind because God's will isn't discovered it is revealed. And all that is necessary is a willing heart that says yes when the moment comes in order to get swept up into God's plans of redemption. Luke chapter two, verses six through 12. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. 
She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, which I think is so fascinating throughout scripture, messengers of heaven and even Jesus himself post-resurrection in the garden. The first words of messengers of heaven are fear not. You don't need to be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This is the sign that God is on the move. Very quiet, very subtle. Some might say mundane, but with the eyes of faith, the mundane becomes the magnificent. We're told here in these first few verses that as they it came time for the baby to be born, they were looking for a place to stay and there wasn't any room for them. And, and, and one of the words that is used is that there wasn't room, I think some translation will say in, uh, some might say just lodging. But what is interesting about this that I want to point out is that the word lodging or in more than likely simply means a guest room. Because in those days, the animals would have either been kept in a small room adjacent to the primary dwelling, or in some cases, the animals were actually kept on the bottom floor and everyone else did their living in the top floor. Now, why is this important? Because it reminds us that more than likely, it wasn't just that there wasn't any room at the Marriott. We're giving an insight Joseph and Mary likely had some distant relatives in Bethlehem. And so they came to that place, but, the, 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 but, but their lodging was so full that they had to uh, lodge with the animals. The peasant homes of the ancient Near East kept the animals downstairs or in a room adjacent to the living area. Why is this important? Because it reminds us when Jesus shows up, he is born in a home surrounded by his working class family. This is how he comes upon the scene. And in lieu of a crib, he's placed in a feeding trough. Then we're told the story about the angels there in verse eight as, they, as they're keeping watch over their, their sheep. And then, I mean, I don't know what you're like in the night, but this was the, middle, this was the night shift, the graveyard shift. I doubt they were singing and humming Christmas carols. For one thing, the Christian religion hadn't been established yet, and nor did the celebration of Christmas Day. But that's beside the point. Here they are, they're just doing their jobs. Uh, we just had a bonfire Wednesday night, and I loved it. We had a great time, senior high. We did our little Santa party there. My truck still smells like smoke, as do my clothes. My wife barely let me in the house that night. In other words, being out in the middle of the night with a campfire, this isn't glorious. This was the mundane grind of really a very hard living that they were giving themselves 
over to. And then all of a sudden, it's to them, these lowest of society, this is where God sends an entire choir of angels. And in fact, he gives the very first testimony of the arrival of the Son of God to a class of people that would not even be allowed to be recognized as witnesses in court because they had such a terrible reputation for not telling the truth. And yet, that's who God picks. That's who God comes to. Notice how the shepherds are quite unexpectedly caught up into God's story. Shepherds rarely had enough land ownings to meet the needs of their families. And therefore, they would have to hire themselves out to work for wages. In other words, they were peasants on the lower end of society. And yet, the coming of the king is announced to them rather than to the wealthy, the influential, or the rulers. Now, we are being alerted to something about the nature of our Savior and the heart of our God and the way he chooses to bring redemption and transformation into the world. The coming of God's kingdom will be characterized by a radical reversal of things. It will be characterized by a radical reversal of the world order. It will be characterized by a radical upside-down reversal of the world's value system. Notice, too, how surprised the shepherds actually are. They're shocked. Not only are they not among the wealthy, but they're also neither learned, nor are they even looking for this invitation. And herein lies a powerful insight because a lot of us grew up in a religion that makes God's will so difficult. And in fact, if you were raised in any kind of uh, system the way I was raised in, not only was it difficult, it was quite threatening because it was as if there's a magical secret blueprint God has in his office up in heaven and your job is to try to figure out how to discern what that blueprint is. And if you make a wrong turn or a wrong choice, you miss out on God's intended blessing. I don't know how many of you grew up under the tyranny of that anxiety, but all you need to do is see the heart of God that's reflected in the scriptures. God is not holding out with some secret system by which we're going to be less blessed or worse cursed if we get the turn wrong. That's not how this works. God's will actually comes to us and envelops us. God's will is revealed as we are being faithful in the mundane details of our lives. I used to think to make a decision, I had to up my Bible reading, up my prayer time, and the God-awful calling to up my fasting, which I rarely succeeded in 24 hours back then. And then I would go to bed feeling guilty and like a failure and given up on knowing God's will. That's not how it works. We're just faithful in the responsibilities that God puts right in front of us. And as we show up and as we're faithful and as we execute, what happens is we get caught up in a story that's much bigger than ourselves. God's will gets revealed in the context of mundane faithfulness. And in verse 10, if you'll notice, the glory of the story moves outward 
from the blessing of Israel to the blessing of the whole world. In fact, I love this phrase that the angel says he is bringing to share good news of great joy that will be for how many people? All people. The news of the arrival of the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, who will bring about redemption for the entire world will be for the purpose not of threats and fear and coercion, but will be for the purpose of joy for the entire world. Israel's election was never exclusively about them. Their election was about the few becoming a blessing to the many. And maybe we might hear a hint of what our calling is and our posture toward the world. We're not here to speak words of threat, judgment, and rejection. We are blessed because the few have always been called to enter in the vocation of being a blessing to the many. Here in this story, God is on the move. And the result of his great work will be the reconciliation of the world. That is what we are celebrating during this season. John 1.29 reminds us, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Christians. No, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once again, the same author reminds us in 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And then we move into verse 12 and we see this beautiful summary statement that the angel says to the shepherds, God's given you a sign. And that sign is this. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and that baby will be lying in a feeding trough for animals. And here we see something powerful. The inconvenience of Mary, the fear that she had to overcome to give herself over to this process. And you would think that if you won the test of faith where you said, yes, I will bring God into the world as a man, that it should be smooth sailing from then on. But instead, the last trimester included a long donkey ride. And then when it was time to give birth, it wasn't a hospital, It wasn't in comfort. It was in the dwelling place of animals. And yet Mary continues to say yes. I know we like the stories where we're told, well, I felt this and this happened and it was successful. So I said yes. And then I moved on and this happened and that happened and it was successful. So I continue to say yes. But my friends, we have to be careful because we've got to tell each other the truth. Success in the faithfulness of God might mean you're traveling through a long season of one disappointment to the next. But it does not mean 
that God is disappointed in the disappointments. It does not mean that the good heart of God is not for you to work within the context of your circumstance and bring about his great plan for your life, which is like Mary, to be a carrier who reveals Christ to the world. And he does that in the context of us saying yes in the midst of fear and uncertainty. And so the inconvenience of Mary becomes the holy sign for the shepherds. Note here how God is behind the scenes weaving two disconnected stories together in ways that neither party can understand until after the fact. Your inconveniences may be God's signposts in the lives of others. Now maybe, and I hope you are in a season this morning where you are coming into a Christmas season that's easy to access cheer and joy. Maybe you've already got a plan in place for how you're going to come out of the gate come January 1. And if that is your passion and your energy, God bless you. I bless that because the world awaits for the revelation of you. And I 100% am behind us pursuing those things. But then others of us might or have, we may be having a hard time to have much powerful vision for our future because we are facing fear heartache and uncertainty. These are the contexts in which followers of Jesus are called to exercise faith and trust and like Mary say, yes, let it be to me according to your will. I say yes. And then we're hit with an obstacle. I say yes. We're hit with the disappointment. I say yes. Prayers don't turn out the way we want them to. And yet we humble ourselves. We grieve if we must. We express anger if we must. And at the end of that lament, we say, Lord, I say yes. This is the posture that will cause you, like Mary, to be one in whom Christ grows until it's time for you to represent him to the world. So as you go into this holiday season and as you have times to reflect, I would encourage you to sit with a couple of questions. Number one, how is God calling you to trust and act in faith in a circumstance that is clouded by fear and uncertainty. You already know what those circumstances are. Soon as I read the sentence, I know what they are for me, what they are in my heart. You know what those are. Don't shy from that, run to that place. And in his mercy, ask God to show you how the light will shine in the darkness through your act of obedience. Because just like Mary, Christ is represented to the world through every heart that's willing to say, yes, Lord, let it be to me according to your will.